His legend inspired literature's most enduring villain, but how well do we know his true story? A few minutes after 11 p.m. on a Halloween night, the doorbell rings at Peter and Betty Fabiano's home. I'm Fraser Coffeen. And I'm Jennifer Coffeen. And this is Creepy History. To creepy history. Halloween edition. Yes, not just any creepy history, an extra That's creepy right. history. I mean, this is our heyday, right? It's Halloween time. <laughs> this Yay! is what this is what we live for. Yeah. I'm very excited. I am very excited about this. We've got I've I've thought very carefully, I've had thought for a while about what would be a good Halloween story. Yeah, I did too. I was trying to kind of do a lead up to Halloween with my other stories. Yes. And then, yeah, this one I am excited about this one because I didn't know anything about it. Nice. It's a brand it's like a surprise. I That's, mean I know now, but Well, yes. That's rare for you to find one that you don't know anything about. It is kind of or I haven't heard anything. Nice. You know, yeah. Good. I'm also really excited about your drink because it kind of looks like an eyeball floating. That's the point. <laughs> it should look like sort of an eyeball floating in a it's little a pool of blood. Very Halloween drink. Thank I love you. it. Go yes. check out our Instagram um, or our Twitter and you can see a photo of the cocktail tonight. Do you want to tell, tell, y- yeah, yeah. tell us about it? I will tell you about it. So this is a drink. Now, it does look very Halloween-y. The yeah. question is... Will you like it? I, that is the question. Um, because it is a sort of brown alcohol-based drink. Well, okay, I saw you in there making it, and I saw whiskey. Bourbon, oh, specifically. Oh, bourbon, sorry. I saw bourbon, I saw wine. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so this is what's called a New York Sour. A New York Sour. Mm. It's got uh, bourbon and lemon juice and maple syrup, and then you pour some red wine over the top to give wow. it that dash of, of uh, blood. And I dropped the cherry in. <laughs> I dropped the cherry in for the uh, for the eyeball effect. Is that what it's meant to like be, or was it like the drink made first, and then people are like, "Oh, this looks Halloweeny." Uh, neither. It's meant to be a wine cocktail, but oh. I thought that the I thought that the wine blood connection was good, and I added the cherry myself for the eyeball Look effect. Look at you. Uh, thank you. All right. Let's give it a try, and then I'll tell you yeah. a little bit more about tried? its history. Yeah, you haven't tried this before. No, I've never even All heard right. of this. I'm a little nervous about this one. Cheers. <laughs> it's got a lot in it. Whoa. <laughs> you made the grimace. You made the grimace face. <laughs> that you did. Okay. It's not as bourbon-y as I thought it was going to be. It's not as bourbon-y. It's very, like, I just, t- I guess, well, there's probably layers of it, right? Because at the top. Well, the wine is floating right, on the top. I'm tasting lemon and wine, which is a very bizarre combination. It's got a lot of lemon. It's more lemon than I would anticipate. Yeah. Um, lemon and red wine. It's not the worst, but it's very tart. Well, and okay, so it's got a big ice cube in it. So the ice cube will yeah. melt and that okay. will make it change over time. All right. I'm going to have another sip. <laughs> Sorry. I'll have my sip while you choke on it. It is mostly very it is mostly wine right now. Uh, yeah. But that's the nature of it. I don't really don't get any bourbon right now. So mm-hmm. we'll see how it you develops get it as more it goes. As it goes down. The wine doesn't really sink down to the bottom of the glass either. No, I did that thing where you pour the wine over the back of the spoon mm, to make it like you. be on top. Yeah. Yeah. That's the so yeah, it's supposed to, you're supposed to have that kind of layered separation. Alright, second sip was a little better. Yeah. A little less lemony. I'm right. intrigued by I'll it. Try it. I'll try it. I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm going to sip on down it. So yeah, yeah, it's called the New York Sour. Um, bizarrely, it comes from it, well, it comes from the 1880s. Um, very oddly, from Chicago. 
Okay. Why in Chicago did they make New York Sour? Who knows? <laughs> it's a mystery. Um, but yeah, I'd never heard of it before, This the New York Sour. It's, it does d- dates all the way back to then. Like so. a sour. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of what makes it the New York Sour is the wine topper thing. That's, okay. that's what makes it distinctly the New I York Sour. I didn't even know wine cocktails were a thing. Yeah, there's not a ton of them. I, but, I guess if they're like champagne cocktails. Sure. But. Yeah. I was looking specifically for a red wine cocktail. So is it just like, it's like wine mixed with like spirits different kinds of things yeah okay yeah mm. yeah um and the recipe that we're using uh, i'll put online you can you can check it out but we're using the version from a couple cooks which i've used before they're very good they, they have a lot of good recipes on there so check them out so there we go all right i'm it's pretty happy not, with this uh, it's not terrible i'm gonna keep oh that is it. that is a solid <laughs> solid endorsement yeah it we're might, gonna it we're might gonna be later put that on the poster <laughs> Not terrible, says Jen. <laughs> I think that's as, as good as we can often hope for from these. Yeah. I'm telling you, I think this is good. It's not too bad. I'm All intrigued right. to see if it gets more bourbon-y. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. There we have it. So I'm Halloween ready. time. I'm ready. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You want to hear my story? I'm so ready for your story. Good. Let's go. We're going we're gonna to dive into it. So my story is one that, kind of like you, obviously I'm aware of it, but it was one that I have sort of always meant to, like I've known, I've known some of, but I've always been like, I should really dig into this more. And what better opportunity than creepy history, right? Yeah, for sure. So here it is. I am going to tell you. <laughs> exactly. To be yeah. like, here's a thing that I want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. So this is it. I'm going to tell you the story of a guy you've heard of, a guy by the name of Vlad the Impaler, a.k.a. Vlad Tepes, Vlad the Third, Vlad Dracula. Wow. Dracula. So many names. So what many names. What was the first one? Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. No, the second one, the ten. Vlad Tepes. What's that? That one I've never heard. Really? That, I feel like that's one that, that I've heard That is like more. his last name? Um, like Richard? It's a little, it's a little <laughs> unclear. Jones. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where that one comes in, I have to admit. Okay. But yes, but this is Vlad the Impaler, yeah. the, the guy who is now primarily known for being the inspiration for Bram Stoker's sure. Dracula. So we all know that, and then we all know the beginning part of the, you know... The Dracula movie. The, the the Coppola movie? Yes. Yes, so we'll talk about that. That's, and, that actually yeah. plays a part in All my right. story here. I'm so yeah, Vlad the Impaler. That's probably it. Yeah, so we'll, we'll find out. Now, here's an important note, and this can be confusing. Uh, he is known, one of, the, one of the many names he's known as is Vlad Dracula. Okay. Or probably pronounced in a more like... Dracula. Probably something like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, he is not, not Vlad Dracul. That's his dad. Oh. His dad is Vlad II, Vlad Dracul. Draculia meaning the son of Dracul. Oh, I see. So, okay. don't be confused. All right. Vlad Dracul. That's, that's, that's his pops. Yeah, okay. I remember, is that what they called him in the movie, though? Uh, uh, I don't remember. I feel like that's where I got it from. The, what, the Vlad Dracula stuff? No, the Dracul. Like, I feel like they remember that, be using that name a lot. That, I, certainly that's like how Gary Oldman says yeah, his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how movie. he says his own name. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just talks like that. <laughs> it's his character choice, man. He's, he's Gary I mean, Oldman. I'm, I'm going to say it does sound creepier, right? It does. Gary Oldman's great. That movie is great. It's movies. Let me just very, say right now. Very good. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's the best version of Dracula, for sure. Anyway, so, uh, so let's talk about him. So. Uh, we'll call him. What should we call him for ease? We'll call him. We'll just call him Vlad. Yeah, with our buddy Vlad. You know. Anyway, Vlad the Impaler, our pal Vlad. 
He was born in like something like 1430. Okay. And he died in like something like 1476. <laughs> he like murdered all the record keepers. Yeah. The, the, he, he, was born, he was born in Transylvania, as you sure. would expect. And uh, the Transylvanian, um, you know, uh, you know, census is not really all that great sure. now. You know, six hundred years later, they're not they're not super on top of it. Um, but yes, yeah, so he he was born in Transylvania, and he lived in this part of Romania um, called uh, Transylvania, Romania. They're all mm-hmm. tied in together. Called uh, Wallachia, probably Wallachia. Okay, W A L L A C H I. Wallachia. I that. Yeah. So we're gonna. This is gonna be an episode where we where we get pretty history. Okay, right. so I hope you're prepared. I'm ready. So Wallachia was founded in the 13th century in the 1200s by a guy with the super awesome name Radu Negru, yes. Black Radu. Yeah, Black Radu, Radu Negru. Now, just to make things even more fun, you want to know what Radu means uh, in uh, their what? language? Joy. <laughs> so he's black joy. He was happy. He's happy. happy. He's just trying to. He's just trying to build a city. Yeah, he's just going around yeah. making his making his making his town and making his area Valakia. So he he founds Valakia, and uh, he becomes the first. There's a, a word here that we're going to use a lot called vovoid. V o i v o d e. Vovoid. Void. 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 All right. Something like that. Now, I, I, we've talked in the past about your struggles with pronunciation, and I usually do well. But something about these these like Romanian names is really throwing me for a loop. This is not my forte uh, of names. You don't have to feel shame around me. No one can butcher a name like me. Well, I apologize to our Romanian listeners. But I butcher names that like are just like in the vernacular, like <laughs> <laughs> just like like Tom, like Tom. Exactly, <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> It's unfortunate. Like second guess it. It's all, Try it's to all right. add things to it. It's really <laughs> bad. So yes, so so he so Radu Negru becomes the first Vovoid. Okay. We'll that, which is which just means warlord. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a great word, Vovoid. There's yeah. a there's a like death metal band from the I want to say like the 2000s or so called Vovoid. Yeah. Um, which I have to assume is named after this word. I, I mean that has to be what they're from. Sure. Anyway. So Radu Negru is their first Vovoid of Valachia. Um, flash forward just a teeny little bit to the early 1400s. Okay. So uh, you remember, of course, your studies of early 1400s European history, right? <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> you will remember probably this. You know who is rising in the early 1400s and what is like the big story of Europe in the early 1400s? The Ottoman Empire. Oh, I was going to say Black Death. No, nope, no. Nope. Nope. That's 1300s, right? It's, it's the, well, and that's also up further, right? Yeah, right. So we're, we're in kind of southern Europe All here. Right. Uh, Ottoman Empire is ringing a bell. Ottoman Empire. Big, big empire that is rising and is starting to take over more and more land. They're kind of based in what is modern day Turkey. Okay. And they're taking things over. And as they're making their way into Wallachia, there is um, a lot of conflict and a lot of debate about what to do. Uh, they're, they're very powerful. They're sort of seen as inevitable, like they're going to take everything over. Mm-hmm. So there's some people who are like, uh, maybe we should just go with this. And maybe we should just like side with the Ottomans as they How come in and take over. How get this information back then, though? You know I what know. I mean? Well, some, some guy with a horse just... rides up and is like, they slaughtered all of our people over yeah. at the place. But then you're also taking this guy at his word about like how big the army is and what they've actually done. Like he doesn't know. You it's know true. what I mean? That's true. It's just, it's weird to me. 
Yeah. I feel like you don't know what it is until it's in your face. Well. Like, until it just shows up in your town. Well, the Ottomans were in their face. Yeah. The Ottomans all were all right. up in their business. So, so there's conflict. You know, some people around there want to support the Ottomans and just go with the flow. Some want to oppose them and, or, you know, defend it. You know, what sure. you would expect. So enter uh, our pal, not Vlad himself, but Vlad II, his dad, okay. Vlad Dracul. Dracul, yeah. Yes, Vlad Dracul. Pops to Dracula. <laughs> he is Vlad II. Um, he adopts the name. Dracul is not his last name. Dracul is a word that means dragon. So oh. his, his name is Vlad the Dragon. All right. That's, That's what Vlad Dracul means. name. If you're going to give yourself your own nickname... Well, he actually, so this is interesting, he actually did not give it to himself. He is, he comes by it because he is a member of a group called the Order of the Dragon. And the Order of the Dragon are a group of Christian soldiers at the time whose job is expressly to oppose the Ottomans and the uh, you know and their their you know moves against Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is all around the same time period as like Crusades and things okay. like that. Already tied in, yeah. It's right? like very Freemasony. Absolutely. Oh, it's yeah. The Order of the Dragon is super Freemasony, but they're they're Christian soldiers soldiers fighting for um, you know the Christian faith in the face of this heathen Ottoman. Empire. Gotcha. And Vlad, Vlad II is a member of the Order of the Dragon, thus he adopts this name. Vlad Dracul, Vlad the Dragon. He is the illegitimate son of a guy named Mircea the Elder, who's a well, a sort of well-respected Romanian vovoid. Uh, Mircea was the son of Black Radu. So you got oh. Black Radu the founder, you've got Mercia the elder, now you've got Vlad the second. So he's like the mayor's like grandson or whatever. Illegitimate grandson. <laughs> illegitimate grandson. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. So, Mircea the Elder had been the Vavoid, and um, after he dies, there is a lot of tumult, uh, as often happens, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uncertain who's going to take over, all of that stuff. Vlad is able to take that over, and he seizes Wallachia, and in 1436, he becomes the Vavoid of Wallachia. Nice. Um, our guy Dracula is about six years old at the time. Our cat is so loud, and I apologize to our <laughs> listeners if all you're hearing is cat. We, we can't evaluate how much you're hearing the cat, but we're hearing the cat. It's a lot of cat. It's a lot of cat. I think the cat is also trying to tell a story. It's possible. It's Halloween time. It's a largely black cat. So yes, Vlad becomes the, the Vavoid in 1436, and he, uh, despite being part of the Order of the Dragon, he believes that the best way to allow... Wallachia to prosper and not mm-hmm. be wiped off the map is to make a deal with the Ottomans. So he he, he makes a deal with them. Yeah, I mean it's smart, right? It, it's I mean, they're wiping everybody else. Right. I mean they're destroying yeah. everyone. He's like, let's make a deal. Let's let's live. Uh, this angers a lot of people, and there's you know strife for a while, and ultimately Vlad is captured. Uh, he does he does eventually get released, and I should say really quickly, we're doing the super crash course version. Sure, sure, right? sure. This is not lot going on. Um, he does ultimately get released, but here is a key piece. As he, In order to be released, he has to leave a couple hostages with the Ottomans as a condition of his release. Okay. And the two hostages that he leaves with the Ottomans are his son, oh. Radu the Handsome. Okay. <laughs> That's one of his sons, Radu the Handsome, <laughs> and his other son, Vlad, our guy. So you name one of your kids Radu the Handsome. And the other well, one, I guess. Well, you're Vlad. You're named the other one after you. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so he leaves his sons. He has to. 
So his so his son so so Vlad, so Dracula uh, is now something like twelve years old and is now a hostage of the Ottomans. Oh man! The next number of years are just an absolute mess. There's just a constant back and forth between the Ottomans. Are we siding together? What are we to not? The boys? Do they stay with the Ottomans? They go and like live in the Ottoman court. They're like they're like living. Oh, they're okay. like kids. They're, yeah, so they're, so they're living just, in the Ottoman court and like being educated there. But they can't leave, right? But it's Whoa. like a, it's like out of like a movie or something like that, right? They're getting like an education and like they're becoming like sort of part of the Ottoman court. Yeah, as these two like hostage kids. It's all it's very like Game of Thrones feeling. Yeah, right? I didn't know that. That's really weird. That's where he like spent his childhood, Dracula. Oh no wonder living in the Ottoman in the so Ottoman mad. court. I know it's crazy. Yeah. So he, um, so yeah. It, there, the next number of years are just a mess. It's back and forth. You know, sure. it, it's just this constant sort of are we are the are the Ottomans and Vlachia working together? Or are yeah. they not? It's it's all over the place, right? Well, I guess by holding his kids hostage, it's like a, it's almost like a forced treason in some way. You know yes, what I mean? Sure. For both of, both sides. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's complicated. So ultimately, again. Cliff Notes version. Ultimately, in 1447, Vlad II is killed in one of these conflicts with the Ottomans. Okay. And he dies. Uh, so here we go. Enter our pal Dracula. Vlad III. Vlad Tepes. Um, he is with the Ottomans, and once his father is killed, um, he, because he's there with the Ottomans and is now sort of part of the Ottoman court, he invades Wallachia leading an Ottoman army. Whoa. Yeah. He comes in, and uh, in late 1448, about a year after his father has been killed, he sort of storms Wallachia with these Ottoman, this Ottoman army behind him, and he gets rid of the king, uh, or the Vovoid, mm-hmm. this guy named Vladislav II, and, uh, and Dracula becomes the Vovoid with the Ottomans behind him. And there it is. That's crazy. So he basically sort of usurps the person who took over for his father and takes his rightful place, but he does yes. it with the backing of the Ottomans. Exactly. Their enemy. Wow. Exactly. exactly. Very interesting. Yeah. But he is there less than two months until he and the Ottomans are chased out by the by the yeah. people of Wallachia. I mean, they're probably not having that. So yeah, so he's the void for about two months, and then he has to flee back over to the sort of Ottoman Empire's kind of more home base area. Mm-hmm. Um, that guy Vladislav II reclaims the throne, and Dracula spends the next eight years of his life in exile. Very little is known about him. Okay. So he was roughly 18 when he first became Vavoid, and then he's gone for about eight years while life continues on in Wallachia without him. Okay. 1456, he's now about 26, he returns. He This time he's wise enough to kill Vladislav II, yeah. not, just, not just get him out of there, but actually kill him, and he becomes the Vavoid again. First thing he does, executes thousands of people all of whom he held responsible for his dad's death. Wow. So all of the members of the party that he could kind of track down that were, that he of felt... the Ottoman? Um, no, it's complicated. Okay. No, it's not he Ottomans. He felt like it was other, he felt like it was... Yeah, it was like, it was like people like loyal to Wallachia. I see. So he kills a whole bunch of them. Right. A couple thousand people. A couple thousand? Yeah. Yeah. He's hardcore. 
Does he have like a list? Like, how do you even know? I don't even think I know a couple of thousand people <laughs> off the top of my head. You know what I mean? Much less like enemies of this one particular person. I have to assume that it was some degree of like, you know, this town and stuff. Like, wipe out this town. You know <laughs> what I mean? This whole town is responsible. Yeah. But yeah, all the people he held yeah, responsible yeah, yeah. for his dad's death. They are all wiped Yeesh. out. So, 1462, six years after becoming Vavoid for the second time, things take a surprising turn when Dracula decides that, you know what, he's done with the Ottomans, and so he turns on them, betrays them, and attacks them. Wow. And now he is loyal to Wallachia, and he is driving the Ottomans out. Well, I mean, he's reclaimed his... He's reclaimed his throne. Throne. He doesn't need him anymore. And also, I'm sure there's some real serious resentment about being taken away at 12 and forced... To, like, grow up yeah. in his court. Yeah. So he's driving them out, and he is now once again embracing his role as a member, as, you know, the son of... Yeah, yeah. Vlad Dracul, the son of the dragon. Um, and he's fighting for Christianity again. And he is he is routing these folks out. He's like, just kidding, guys. I'm on the yeah, side. Yeah, killed now. you guys. Yeah. Um, I read, for some reason, this this cracks me up. I, I, I doubt the validity of this. But I read somewhere that he, it said, he kills 23,884 in his initial campaign. Now, given that we don't even know what year he died, I have a tough time believing know, that we have an accurate have number. to the number count of how That's many he killed. a lot of people. But it's a lot. He kills a lot of people. And that's back in, like, you had to kill them with, like, hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you had to, like, go and do it. You're not shooting people. Like... Yep. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so he drives out the Ottomans, and this angers the, 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 the head of the Ottoman Empire, the Sultan. Okay. That's the head of the Ottoman Empire. Great word, right? The Sultan. If you picture him, right? He's, he's, sure. he's mad. He's been, been betrayed by this guy who was raised in the court, and now he's angry. So, the Sultan raises an army to go back and take uh, Wallachia from Dracul. Drac- mm-hmm. Sorry, from Dracula. Yeah. Who is leading the army? Oh, the brother. Radu the handsome. It's the brother. Oh, Radu's like, listen, I'm really handsome. Radu. And I stayed at court. Yep. And the goal, and the, uh, the Sultan, the Ottoman Empire invades with the goal of getting Dracula out and putting Radu right, in. in. Mm-hmm. Brother versus brother. Nice. Crazy. And handsome brother. Isn't that wild, though? This is, these, are these brothers who were raised in this empire is a crazy story. I know. And okay. would you be mad that your brother got the handsome part, or would you not want it? You oh, know I think I mean? you might not want it. Yeah, probably in this instance. Yeah. You think they're making fun of him? It's probably not the best thing to have. Probably at that time. For, like, yeah. a warrior. It's hard to know. Anyway. June of 1462, the Ottomans with Radu at the head invade, and Vlad is way outnumbered. The Ottoman Empire is an entire empire. You know, if they put their minds to it, they will they will smush him. Um, so Vlad and his men are really outnumbered, and they retreat um, to try to you know fall back, uh-huh. uh, but not before Vlad himself personally breaks into the Ottoman camp in an attempt to kill the Sultan. Wow. He is not successful, but he does indeed escape. So he doesn't successfully kill the Sultan, but he does get out of the camp alive. Yeah. So, you know, kudos to Vlad. He's going for it. He just, like, wakes him up and smacks him really hard yeah. and takes off. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of details, but... So, so Vlad is pulling back, is retreating, and he employs the sort of military campaign strategy called a scorched earth campaign, which is the idea that... Um, it's the idea that as you are falling back and as you are, like, leaving land, um, the way that you can best hurt your enemy, this is a mm-hmm. military strategy, is you can 
scorch the earth. You can destroy the land. You know, if you if you leave behind, if you fall back and you pass through this town and you leave the town as is, well, then now the army who's chasing you can come into the town and like yeah, get, get supplies, more supplies and, and like, stuff oh, like that and get food. Horrible. But if you burn that town to the ground, now the army or you take your supplies and then yeah. you burn the rest to the ground. Now the army chasing you has no supplies and, and all, all the people of the town are dead. Innocent people. Yep, scorched earth campaign has some problems. Horrendous. That's like when they like throw salt on the ground too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's that kind of stuff. So awful. Exactly. You've got it. That's the kind of thing. So this is what Vlad is doing. He's falling back and the Sultan army follows him. And there's an amazing quote here. They follow him into what is described as, you ready for this? Ready. The forest of the impaled. Whoa. So this comes from, uh, I'm going to read you a quote now of what the forest of the impaled is. Okay. Uh, this is from a book called The Histories by, now here's a tough name. You ready yeah, for this? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Leonikos Choco Condilis. No, that can't be right. I, got, I made it very it's Spanish at the end. so much longer than that. Choco con 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 condiles condiles. Again, it's so, I don't know. I don't it's think, long. I don't even think that's anyway, possible. Leonikos. <laughs> he writes the histories. Here's his quote. quote: The Sultan's army entered into the area of the impalements, which was 17 stades long. Stades is a unit of measurement. Stades long and seven stades wide. There were large stakes there on which, as it was said, about 20,000 men, women, and children had been spitted. Quite a sight for the Turks and the Sultan himself. The Sultan was seized with amazement and said that it was not possible to deprive of his country a man who had done such great deeds, uh, who had such a (laughs) diabolical understanding of how to govern his realm and its people. The Sultan's impressed. And he said that a man who had done such things was worth much. The rest of the Turks were dumbfounded when they saw the multitude of men on the stakes. There were infants, too, affixed to their mothers on the stakes, and birds had made their nests in their entrails. Oh, jeez. That's the Forest of the Impaled. So, the, yeah, this is the famous thing. This is what, like the image this is that what you see he shows, the, the Coppola impaled. shows yeah, at the yeah. beginning of Dracula. Yes, yeah. correct. Now, do we feel like this is real? We'll come to this. Okay. Okay, so the conflict drags on. And the Sultan, the conflict drags on. The Sultan um, eventually um, pulls back some of his troops, but he leaves some there under Radu. You know, Ottoman Empire's got other, got other things they've got yeah. to do. So, so they are, some of the army goes somewhere else. Some stays away with Radu. Radu begins this propaganda campaign with the people of Wallachia against... Dracula, so the people start turning on him. Well, I mean, if he's impaling them, sure, it's probably not hard. It's probably not the hardest. Um, and Vlad flees to, are you ready for this? I'm ready. The Carpathian Mountains. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> which is, of course, where in the book he is killed, yeah, uh, yeah. where his castle is. So he flees to the Carpathian Mountains. I got really excited when I read that. Sure. In story. Once they're in the Carpathians, he is cornered, he is captured, he is arrested. He is not killed. Because remember, the Sultan sort of was impressed by him. Yeah. So he's not killed, but he is captured and arrested and uh, imprisoned there in the Ottoman Empire. He's imprisoned uh, for for a chunk of time, from 1462 to 1475. Oh, yeah. Now, here's an interesting thing. Shortly after he is imprisoned, remember, there's this whole Christian thing going on here, right? Defending the Christian faith. So shortly after he is imprisoned, these letters are presented to the Vatican, allegedly written by Vlad, saying he's going to align with the Sultan. Say these letters that he allegedly wrote, saying like, "I know that I've been fighting for the for you know 
for you, you know, Pope and the yeah. Vatican, but I no longer am. I'm going to align with the Sultan. <laughs> He's very wishy-washy. The, the, it's generally agreed on by all historians that these letters are false. Okay. That these were trumped up by um, Radu and the Ottomans, um, well, by Radu, really, in order to not make the Vatican so angry that they had disposed, that they had just knocked... Uh, that they had just yeah. moved Dracula out. I see. Right? To make Dracula seem kind of like a traitor. Exactly. Like he was doing it on Exactly. Okay. Right. Got it. So these letters go out. Um, so it's during this time, during these years, this like decade of his imprisonment, that a lot of stories of his cruelty start to come out. And they are... They're... they're 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 kind of this goes to what your point was before. They're a little bit sketchy. Uh-huh. Um here's just three sort of famous stories that start to come out. One, he impaled two monks to uh, to in his words help them get to heaven faster. And then when their donkey brayed, he impaled the donkey too. <laughs> Number 2, while in prison, he was known to be cutting up rats and impaling them in his cell. On what? I don't know. And number three... They gave him a knife? Who knows? <laughs> and number three, at some point, some Turkish messengers come to him, and he nails their turbans to their heads. So these are the stories that are now circulating about Dracula. Um, it, yeah, it's are these accurate? Again, none of these are as bad as, like, the 20,000 people in the And even is that accurate? So there's, yeah, there's yeah. questions here. Somehow, again, documentation is not great. Sure. Somehow or other, he ends up being released in 1475. <laughs> awesome. They he's, just got, he's they free. Get sick of him chucking rats. I guess. <laughs> bailing rats in the jail. They're like, we're not cleaning this anymore. And, uh, and in 1476, he reclaims the throne. He's the Vavoid again. Third, third time Vavoid. This dude, this dude is... He just shows up. Yeah, he gets it like, again. Fine, Vlad. Retakes it. They're like, put your nasty rats aside. I know. And you can do it. So he so he reclaims the throne. He rules again as Vavoid for about a year, and then he is killed in battle against the Ottomans. Wow! So he again fights the Ottomans and he dies uh, in roughly 1777. Or, I'm sorry, 1477. Sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, he, he was you know. I know he was, he was Dracula. So. Um, at that point, once he's dead, the Ottomans cut him into pieces, send his head to the Sultan, and there is no knowledge at this point of where he is buried or. Or his remains are, or anything like that. No, no, I no clue. Chucked somewhere. Yeah. So then, after this happens, after he's dead, then these stories of his cruelty that I was telling you about before, they start to become published, mm-hmm. and they start to become like books and like you know, like penny dreadful books, you know, and they start to become bestsellers. So there's all these like best-selling books about uh, about Dracula. I mean, it's a great story. Here's a quote from one. This is from a this is from a little, you know, little, you know, book called sure. about a mischievous tyrant called Dracula Voda. And here's the here's here's the quote. It says, "Vlad had a big copper cauldron built and put a lid made of wood with holes in it on top. He put the people in the cauldron and put their heads in the holes and fastened them there. Then he filled it with water and set a fire under it and let the people cry their eyes out until they were boiled to death. And then he invented frightening, terrible, unheard of tortures. He ordered that women be impaled together with their suckling babies on the same stake. The babies fought for their lives at their mother's breasts until they died. Then he had the women's breasts cut off and put the babies inside head first." Thus, he had them impaled together. Yeah, that that sounds 
Yeah. It just sounds like a tale you're telling over the campfire. He, you know what I mean? he is becoming like a boogeyman yeah, here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, again, this is after he's dead. Um, so, uh, so it's very, it's this interesting thing. Like, the tales that we know of him as Vlad the Impaler and all that stuff, there's no question that he, you know, that he killed a lot of people. Sure. But the question is... They all did. Yes. Yeah. Did, was he so much more violent yeah, yeah. than others at the time? It, it doesn't seem like it. Probably not. It's also, I mean, it's probably hard to tell because I think they were all doing awful, right, awful right. stuff. You know, I mean, that's fact. How awful is it to burn an entire town to yeah, it's the not ground good. because you're at war and probably the awful things that you're doing to the people in there while you're doing it. Right. To women, to children, to, you know what I mean? It's like, so yeah. you know, that's ba- that's bad enough. But they're trying to make, they're trying to put all this sort of like extra. You're right that he was so evil. Yeah, like well, like a story out of right. it. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. So so that's kind of where things stop. Flash forward really quickly, just as a little coda here. We flash forward to 1897. 1897, of course, is of course when the Irish author Bram Stoker puts out Dracula, mm-hmm. the novel. Um, interesting thing that I did not know um, in the manuscripts for Bram Stoker's novel. Uh, the the main character is simply referred to as Count Vampire. Mm. He's not called Dracula. Count Vampire. Yeah, bad name. <laughs> working working title. We'll get. We'll work. We'll work That's through that. That's so funny. It's such a, it's that. a very writer thing to do. Where they're yeah. like, I'm just going to put this placeholder in here, yeah. and I'm going to figure it out later. I'll get a better name later. Yeah, it's where a bad name. You're like, it's like it's Mr. Husband, and <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'll right. figure it out later. Yeah. Johnny Johnny P. Husband. <laughs> so so Count Vampire. Um, and so here's an interesting thing. He Stoker makes him Dracula very very late in the process. Mm-hmm. He he identifies the name. There's very little connection to Vlad in the book. That stuff that we were talking about at the beginning of the movie, that's not in the book. Right. Coppola, Coppola draws in more yeah. of the connection to is the real Dracula. Is he the first one to do it? Coppola? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That movie is the one that really that really brings more of that kind of stuff to the forefront. So I wonder if he just like last minute I'm talking about Bran Stoker like read something it was like boom that's the thought is that he read I I believe the thought is that he read that histories book that I quoted before and was like oh this seems good and so he took the name and like you know tweaked a location or two like put this in the Carpathians but like didn't Didn't do very much no he Stoker acknowledged that the 1872 book uh, Carmilla by Sheridan Le Fanu, which uh-huh. is a vampire tale, that that was an inspiration for him. But he he never really he never really talked about Dracula. There's no there's like no mention of Dracula in his notes. Like we have like so they I have all his why notes. Why he chose that as the name? I, did it just like really suit? Like you know it just yeah I think just you know it just worked liked the name liked you know the order of the dragon Dracula yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Vlad Dracula but that's you know. kind of all he needed and that's, that's kind of all he needed he just needed a name and he took a name so that's he's so not he's not really the Dracula that we associate because I guess because I you know I saw the Bram Stoker yeah. Dracula the Coppola one I can't remember how you know but like young it was 92 it came okay out. yeah so and I mean I knew obviously you know vampires you know Dracula but I didn't know that much and then so that had such an impression on me I yeah. guess I always intertwined them right Vlad the Impaler yeah. and Dracula like yeah. those stories to me were very connected yeah I didn't realize that Coppola was the first one to do to yeah. like really really I don't know if he's the yeah, absolute first he's the first I've seen evidence of there might be yeah. something else out there now I think it's of. almost a given right right 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So his last thing I'll say, what is uh, his legacy today? Well, it's complicated. On the one hand, he's Dracula. He's the guy. He's the vampire guy. He's Vlad the Impaler. He impaled all these Aren't people. some of the stories that he drank blood? Or was that never a thing? Not really. No. Okay. Not really. Not really a thing. Uh, P.S. If you haven't figured it out, the reason that I put the wine cocktail is because Dracula and the whole wine thing. That's why I, that's why I selected a wine cocktail for us. Dracula and the wine thing. Yeah, he does. He's got that line where he's like, I don't drink wine. So he got a wine cocktail. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that's good. Yeah, see? I, I, mean, Jeez. I mean, that Come out. on. <laughs> anyway, last thing. So, yes. So, he's, so he's, he's seen as Dracula, but also by, uh, you know, in... in some area in some to some degree in Romania, he is seen as a national hero who did what he had to do yeah. for Wallachia and for the people of Romania in the face of this invading empire, yeah. and that he that he fought that for he them, like keep it as it is now. Exactly, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. so so uh, so it's a complicated yeah, hey. history. But that all that stuff about him and his brother and everything like that, I just found really fascinating. Super so, fascinating. So there you go. Whatever happened to, um, what's his face, the handsome? Uh, Radu. Radu, the Radu handsome. yeah. Uh, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure. That's a good question. He probably got married and had a really nice life. Yeah. yeah just, lived, just lived on. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Age of like 30. That's Dracula. Good stuff. Cheers. Cheers. To Dracula. Nice. To Dracula. Back we are for part two. How's the drink treating you? It's it's not bad. I've had, you know, a fourth of it. So, you know, making... That's pretty good. Making my way through it. Um, it's good. It's getting a little more whiskey, but it's kind of... it's The wine gives it like a, like a little bit of sweetness. Yeah. So the... I'm sorry, bourbon. It's not so harsh. Yeah. You know what I mean? The wine has mostly gone away, mm-hmm. but it still is not... Like, I was thinking as I was making it, I was like, oh, this is just going to be like straight up bourbon. It's no, really it's not. Really it does not... not it's got a lot of flavors going on. The bourbon is certainly third behind the wine and the lemon in terms yeah, of things yeah, I taste. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So, all right, it's not bad. I like it. I'm, I don't. I don't know that I'm going to like add it to my regular, you know, weekly what it is? rotation. Uh, that I think it's very acidic. It is it's the wine and the lemon together. It's very acidic. those two things together. Yeah, that, that'll give you. It'll rot your gut, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it is Halloween, so there you go. That's right. So it's allowed. Okay. All Are right. you ready? I am. I don't know anything about what you're doing. It's okay. a total blank on this. Your your teaser gave me nothing. All right. I'm excited. This is... Not in a bad way. It wasn't insulting your teaser, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> this is the murder, the Halloween murder of Peter Fabiano. Awesome. I know. That gives you nothing. But here we go. No, I'm excited. I re- and I am a true crime person like i'm into it right since you know not just creepy stuff but like true crime never heard of this usually i've heard like a, at least sure. a little bit of something and never heard of this okay here we go a true crime aficionado not quite steve martin martin short yeah selena gomez levels of true crime aficionado uh, but still, maybe i could be in that group maybe i wish i was in that group it's true okay. they seem like fun yeah all right okay so it is 11 p.m. on October 31st, 1957, and we're in Sun Valley, California, which is like a suburb outside of L.A., okay. so like just outside. Peter Fabiano is um, an L.A. hairstylist. Sure. Yep. <laughs> he and his wife, I mean, he has that name, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he and his wife, Betty, um, they've just gone to bed. Um, they were handing out candy, you know, trick-or-treating that night, whatever, and uh, Betty has 
They don't have children of their own, but Betty has two daughters from like a previous relationship, but they're like teenagers. Okay. Um, so they're handing out candy or whatever. So um, the light flicks off in their upstairs bedroom, and across the street there is a parked car, and someone is watching the house. Ooh, okay. Right now, right? Setting the scene. Nice. So a few minutes after 11, the doorbell rings um, at the Fabiano home. Peter gets out of bed. He heads downstairs, and he is assuming that it's like a late trick-or-treater. Sure. Um, so he opens the door, and he is quoted later as saying, it's a little late for this, isn't it? Outside the door, he sees a figure dressed in blue, like sort of men's clothing, blue jeans, a khaki jacket, red gloves, and our worst nightmare, one of those hideous, freaking, like, domino sack masks. The sack mask? Not the sack mask. I think it's a sack. Because oh. that's a domino mask, right? Isn't that what that is? Like a burlap sack I guess, mask? Yes, I think so. Y'all, oh. please don't sack masks are the wear worst. The sack masks. They're sack the masks are the worst. worst. Okay, anyway. Have you, a, seen, have you ever watched the Friday the 13th where he has the sack mask? It's, Friday, it's part two. Does he already have a mask? No, it's before. It's part two before he gets the hockey mask. Oh. He wears a sack mask. It's terrifying. He's way freakier with does the sack mask. Feel, okay, wait. Slight pause on my story. We have to talk about this for a minute. So, does he feel like the sack mask is not as scary, and that's why he gets the hockey mask? Because the sack mask, to me, is scarier. It's way scarier with the sack mask. But the, the hockey mask is probably easier to wear. In the third one, he just finds the hockey mask, and he starts wearing he's it. He's just like, Murr. He's like, this looks pretty cool. <laughs> and he starts wearing it. I think, you know, I mean, it's probably more iconic. It made it easier to sell shirts oh, of and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, From yeah. a marketing standpoint, the hockey what mask What was is that smart. Spanish horror film? We orf- talked about this on an earlier episode. Oh, we did? Uh, the Orphanage, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, weren't they giving the sack masks out as like a party favor? Oh, I don't know if you just made that up, but that sounds awesome if they were. But like, I thought all the kids had them. That's why it was oh, confusing. Uh, yeah. She couldn't find him because they all yeah, had them Yeah, I don't on. remember. That sounds right. So they're like, here, kids, put on your, your put horrifying on your sack, mask. sack mask from the devil. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, back to my story. So, it's like a very grotesquely painted mask. Probably a sack mask. Sack mask. Okay. So, this is what this person is doing. So, they're standing out in the front, and Peter's like, it's a little late for trick-or-treating. They hold up a paper bag, and they say in a deep voice, no, and they fire a gun through the paper bag. I know, right? Sack mask and paper bag gun. And paper bag to think that there's candy. They're going to hold out for candy, and then they fire a gun through it. This is horrible. Horrible. Hits Peter in the chest. One shot, hits him in the chest, and then they take off running. So the figure runs back to the car across the street. Another person's inside the car, and the two of them speed off. Peter's wife, Betty, she runs down the stairs. She finds um, her husband collapsed at the doorway. She calls, you know, the uh, 911, and he's rushed to the hospital where he dies. He yeah. had, It was a bullet, like, basically went straight to his heart. Yeah. That was it. The newspapers instantly refer to it as the trick-or-treat murder. I yes, mean, you do. I mean, right. And it's quoted in the papers as saying, it was a murder as fantastic as the spirits of Halloween. I mean, you know, it's 1957. Yeah, so. they're doing it. You're doing it. Okay. So, we're going to pause there. A little background on Peter Fabiano. Nice. Okay. Who was Peter Fabiano? Why was he shot on Halloween night? So, Peter Fabiano uh, was a Marine in World War II. He and Betty meet in the late 1940s after the war. She was um, divorced. She had these two, you know, two daughters who were sort of like, you know, teenage age. Um, Betty was very attractive. They were married in 1950. They lived in Kingston, New York, and Peter worked as a truck driver there. 
Um, when the police were sort of digging into his background, there was a lot of, um, you know, discussion. Was he working for the mafia? Was he, you know, because it just seemed like a hit, right? right? Yeah, it was sure. Like, it was obviously personal. The person went to his house. But they, and they didn't go in. They didn't, like, steal or anything. Exactly. Like that. It was not yeah. a robbery. It was, and it was like they were coming for him. It was one shot. Right. And, like, and then they took off. Um, Peter never had any trouble with the law. He had one misdemeanor charge of bookmaking, in ni- which is like working as a bookie, in 1948, but that was it. So oh, and I think okay. back then they were just like, ah, everybody does that. Yeah, that's fine, whatever. <laughs> um, so in 1956, only one year before the murder, Peter and Betty moved to Los Angeles and opened two beauty shops. So they're very new to this, sure. right? He was a truck driver, and I don't really... There's not a lot of information about like how this all came about and why Peter was... Like a marine, and then a truck driver, and then a hairdresser, but that's <laughs> that's yeah. where they ended up. Right. Um, so this is where Peter and Betty are in 1956. They first meet 40 year old Joan Rabel. Rabel? Rabel? Rabel seems. Yeah, seems we're gonna reasonable. go with Rabel. Um, when they open up the beauty shop in LA. Okay. Joan. It come, she's very mysterious, okay. right? There's not a lot of information on her. It's she's, just, a, she's a person who lives in L.A.? She's a person who lives in L.A. Okay. She ends up working for them. Uh, okay. uh, I'll sort of go into that in a second. So uh, they meet Joan Rabel when they move to L.A. Um, it, her background is sort of all up in the air. Uh, in some reports, she was born in Philadelphia. Another newspaper reported she uh, immigrated to the U.S. from Lithuania. Um, she's a photographer. She's a writer. Um, she, she like sails all over. She was like taking, you know, classes in Honolulu. Hmm. Like, okay. you know, I, it's, it's sort of hard to know how much of this is real, how much of it was like made up from her, the newspapers, whatever. Got it. Um, but we know that in 1956 she was divorced and she begins working for Peter Fabiano in his salon, okay. one of her, his hair salons. Um, so Joan hits it off at the Fabianos um, very quickly, and she and Betty are extremely close. And so so close that later that year, and again, they're only there for like a year, Peter and Betty start having marital problems, and Betty actually leaves Peter for a short time and moves in with Joan. Oh. Um, yeah. So Joan later claims um, that Betty told her that Peter had a, a sort of a dark side, that he was abusive, he was controlling, um, and he was not a good husband to Betty. So Joan, uh, this kind of kicks off Joan's obsession with Betty. She feels like they're, you know, kindred spirits or possibly soulmates. And she feels like she's, you know, um, the one who's going to, like, save Betty and, like, take her away to a better life. Sure. Um, we don't really have much information on, you know, the exact nature of Betty and Joan's relationship. Um, the Los Angeles Times later described the women's relationship as, quote, abnormal. Uh, sure. And that was sort of a euphemism at the time for, you know, homosexual. Right. Um, but and that was sort of as, as far as they would go with that. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think there was thought that they possibly had a relationship. There was no actually proof that they had a relationship. But, you sure. know. And remind me, it was it, the year, 57 is the year that he's shot? He's shot in 57. 57. Okay. This is sort of, they kind of meet, um, Joan in like 1956. 56, so right. there's not okay. a lot of time yes. between that they've you know that this is happening. Got it. Um, Peter is quite threatened by their relationship, um, and when they finally Betty and Peter finally reconcile, he sort of you know lays the line of he's like I want you to cut off all contact with Joan. Okay. And Betty agrees. Um, so she does, and you know this is where and they're that's at. that right exactly. Okay. Okay. 
Now we're gonna meet, and you're gonna have to help me out with this name here. I, I try to look it up. It's very, okay, is it? It's gotta be just golden. Golden? G-O-L-D-Y-N, golden, how can it like, I heard a pronunciation, and uh, okay, so it's it's gold with Y-N. Yeah. That's how it's pronounced. It's gotta be golden. I mean, so her name is Golden Pfizer. Wow. <laughs> All right. You cannot come up with a more 1950s, yeah. 80s name than Golden Pfizer. That's it's, a good it's like stuff. a Bond, yeah. you know, name. It's amazing. Okay. So Betty goes back to her husband. She walked into like the noir detective's I know. office. I'm Golden Pfizer. Um, so Betty goes back to Peter, and then Joan now meets another woman by the name of Golden Pfizer. Nice. Um, Golden is a 43-year-old medical secretary. She lives in a bungalow court flat near the Sunset Strip. Oh, my gosh. So L.A. This is amazing. This is like a, this is like a David Lynch movie really developing is. here. It so is. Um, she's about a mile away from Joan, so they're very close together. She has tall, She's tall, she has reddish hair, and she is described as matronly in the local news. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. She's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. She's in her... I'm sure they were probably all described the way because they were like, you know, they weren't 20. Yeah. Well, especially 16. in LA. Yeah. 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 To be yeah. 43 in LA. Yeah. You're matronly. Okay. So Golden was born in Rockford, Illinois. Yeah, Shout out to Rockford. Uh, she's the daughter of German inter- immigrants. And uh, by 1940, she moved to LA and became took work as a secretary. She married in 1944, um, but divorced soon after. She doesn't okay. have any children. So um, both she and Joan are divorced women, kind of living on their own, making their own way. Yep. So after the relationship ends with Betty, Joan and Golden begin a relationship. Golden later describes um, they to the Valley Times newspaper as um, they were coffee clatch friends. What on earth does coffee clatch friends mean? So I think I it's know like, two of those words. I think coffee clatch is like so. I think it's like um, you know like. A like a close friend that you like chat with, right? Okay, okay. Like coffee clatch, you know. You're <laughs> <laughs> just gonna keep saying it. It's very fifties. That's pretty good. You like need to, to chat. Sure. You need to start re getting this into your life and start convincing people to call each other like coffee clatch friends. Yeah, and have people call me Golden Pfizer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, these are my coffee clatch friends. I'm just gonna start saying it and see who catches yeah. on. Yeah. You could start I like a you could start like, like a like a like an Instagram. Yeah. Uh, coffee clatch friends. Yeah. Nice. I think it's just like ladies who chat, but I think sure. I, my guess it, when she was saying this in the paper, she was trying to be like, see, we're just, we're just lady friends right, yeah. who hang out and have coffee yeah. and chat just as normal. opposed to like two women in a relationship, sure, sure, which sure. is very likely what was actually happening. Anywho. Okay. So during one of their coffee clatch hangs, um, <laughs> Joan tells Golden all about Peter and Betty Fabiano. She's obsessed with them. She tells her all about how Peter is controlling and he's jealous. And And he's iced her out. He's iced her out. Yeah, they're not allowed to... Betty is not allowed to be a coffee clutch friend anymore. And she describes Peter as pure evil. Betty's on the coffee clutch outs. That's right. Wow, Peter's really on the outs. Okay, so for the next three months, Joan and Golden become obsessive over Peter. They feel like, and here's the thing, there is no mention if Golden even knows Betty. Yeah. Because I feel like right. at this point, Betty has cut Joan off. So she probably doesn't Unless meet she's her. secret. I don't, yeah, because I don't think, yeah. I think that's where this is coming from, right? Like Joan is. Right, she's frustrated. Well, that she's, she's upset not that yeah. she can't see Betty anymore. So she, you know, but it's like, so Golden sort of joins in on this, not even really knowing these people. 
Um, but it's like they need to save Betty from this evil, awful man that, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and eventually Joan talks Golden into a plan. Uh-oh. You ready? Okay, okay. So Joan gives Golden money to purchase a gun. And Golden borrows a getaway car from another one of her friends. Oh, no. Okay. On Halloween, she sends a disguised Golden in her, you know, jeans and, or no, it was khakis yeah. or whatever. Yeah, whatever. And her horrifying mask. They had enough money for a gun, not enough money for a mask. <laughs> I blew all the money on the gun, and the, but I, I did know, get you this sack. But I think that was like, nor, I think I it was know, just it like was. everybody was wearing yeah. them. They're like, here, get your sack mask. It's terrible. Um, so she sends the disguised Golden to the Fabio Fabiano residence with a gun inside the paper trick-or-treat bag. It takes one shot. Joan drives her accomplice home with a la- and then drops her off with an instruction, forget you ever knew me. Ooh. Now, here's the thing. You have to think that Golden is like, what? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, I thought we were all in this together. I thought we were doing this thing. And then we were going to say Betty and we were all going to run away together. Yeah. It's like, what What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, the next morning, Golden realized, probably a lot of things, but Golden realized that Joan had not instructed her how to dispose of the gun. So she has this gun still. Yeah, that's a problem. she doesn't know what to do with it. I guess she feels like she can't talk to Joan. Okay. So she, um, it's not the worst idea. She takes it to a department store in downtown LA uh, called Bullock's, which apparently was like the fancy, fancy. Oh, nice. You know, okay. It was like the... Um, the Macy's of the time, mm-hmm. I guess, <laughs> and puts it in a storage locker. Um, you know, not the worst. People do that at train stations all the time. Yeah, but people will find it pretty quickly, won't yeah, they? Yeah. And then we'll, their fingerprints will be on it. We'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. So, doesn't um, seem good. It doesn't take very long after Peter's murder for the detectives to start looking at Joan. Uh, it was very obviously a personal hit. There was no robbery. Um, Peter had no known connections with mob or anything like that to cause him to be murdered, like, in his background. Betty tells the police right away that the only person, so they're like, you know, do you know anybody who'd want to hurt your husband? And the only person she can name is Joan. Sure. Rabel. Right. Rabel, whatever her name is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, obviously, that's the other thing. Betty, like, is the one to, like, that like says her name yeah yeah yeah. and so betty was i was not in on this at all clearly right um you know i think she was taken totally by surprise okay so according to the valley news (laughs) the time the murder weapon is found in the department store locker two weeks later yeah i know like because you wonder do they empty them right this is not a good place or something yeah it's fine the best random random reservoir somewhere right pond yeah Seems much better. Water is always good. Um, They discover quickly that it is registered to a lab assistant at the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles who is 42-year-old Golden Pfizer. Oh, jeez. Somebody else said she was 43. 42, 43, whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she registers in her name. Okay. Yeah, it's not good. So they go to Golden, and they're like, what's going on? We found the murder weapon. You know, Mm -hmm. it's registered to you. And she admits basically the entire plan. Like, she spills it. So Golden is quoted as saying, she told me that Mr. Fabiano was a vile, evil man, a man who destroyed everything around him. She told me that he mistreated his wife and that he was dealing narcotics. No. Well, there you go. (laughs) Throw that in at the end. (laughs) Oh, and he was dealing narcotics. By the way, totally a drug dealer. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And he kicks dogs. Um, 
She claimed that Joan uh, gave her money to purchase the gun, and then also she drove her past the Fabiano's house um, before the actual night of the murder so that she would recognize the house and Peter and, like, know what to do. It was, like, a whole planned out thing. Joan refuses to admit anything. Joan's not sure. talking. Just the classic nah defense. Yep, exactly. The trial for the women was scheduled for late December. Um, so, the again, the Valley News reports that a judge ordered three psychiatrists to examine the women. Mm, okay. Like, ladies must be crazy. Yeah, we gotta figure this out. This kind of stuff. I mean, this is the 1950s, right? Like, women, women did murder, but usually in, like, a heat of passion. Like, the idea that two women, like, plotted a right. murder against, you know, a man and, like, the whole lovers thing. Like, I think it just blew people's sure, minds. They sure. couldn't even deal with it. Um... And so Pfizer tells, uh, or Golden tells one of the psychiatrists, uh, she's quoted as saying, I had no motive personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was always easily influenced. I had been impressionable and always trusting. Aww. So in some ways, though, I mean, Golden, it's like, are you, you're just going to kill somebody? You have no stake in the game? Yeah, it's really weird. Like, right. I mean, was she, she obsessed with Joan? Is it yeah. that, like, I'm sure it was not easy to... To find someone who would be accepting of you at that time. So maybe that had something to do with it. Like, you know, the unwillingness to let go of that relationship and Joan really manipulated her. Right. I don't know. It's hard to know. Hmm. Um, after hearing Golden's account of the murder, um, a psychiatrist sort of uh, was quoted as saying that, you know, the only thought she had was that she had saved her friend, Joan Rabble, from an evil person. So, I mean, Golden was really obsessed with Yeah, she's Joan. very focused on that piece. Exactly. Of, yeah. she, had, she wasn't really into the whole Peter and Betty right. issue. So there's an amazing photo, which we'll put on our Instagram, from the LA Times uh, at the time that shows uh, both Golden and Joan outside a court hearing, which, again, is bananas that you that they're just like hanging together, right? Because yeah, right, I mean, right. that doesn't happen now. Like they're separated; they're not allowed to speak. All yeah. this kind of stuff, and it's like the two of them are just like standing in um, the hallway outside of the court, like dressed just to chatting. the nines, just yeah. having a coffee clash. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, that's how you use it. There it is. Yeah, that's yeah, it's well like done. A coffee talk, a coffee clash. Yeah, just we're clashing. We're clashing outside. Isn't that what it means? It's clash. I've never heard that word okay, exist ever again, before. I, uh, pause for a digression. Remember in the SNL years ago when um, what's his face? The oh coffee my, talk. No. Yes. That's yeah, but what did it they is. say clash? I think they did. Okay. Maybe they didn't. All right. But how they talked then, I feel like clash would fit in really well with that. Sure. Sure, that's I can a see co- it. but that's a coffee clash. Right, I get it. I get yeah. what it is. I'm just saying I've never heard the word before this night. Well, I'm yeah. excited. I've got a new word for my vocabulary. Right, we have to look it up exactly. I appreciate but. it. Okay, anyway, so uh, Golden is in a uh, leopard print dress with a coat over her shoulders. She's kind of got her like again. You'll see the picture. She's got her head down. She looks very upset. Um, and Joan is wearing like just like a blouse and skirt, but she's got like kind of like a, one of those. Um, you know, fancy, like, you know, 50 swing coats, I think they were called. And then she's got, like, a big smile. And it just looks, and it says here, like, um, it just, like, two ordinary ladies out for an afternoon tea date or a coffee clash. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. It's the best. Anyway, so um, they go to trial. Both women plead innocent. Uh, Golden pleads mm-hmm. innocent by reason of insanity. She is... Um, you know, she's very upset. She's weeping about the night of the shooting. She seems very apologetic, um, you know, et cetera. Um, Joan is kind of just like stoic. She's seen smiling as she let out of court. Yeah, like, whatever. Yeah. 
she just she I got just, rid of that narcotic dealer. Yeah, I know. Yeah. She doesn't seem contrite at all. Um, both women are charged with first degree murder. It's reduced to second degree murder after they make a plea deal. Um, and then the judge sentences them to five years to life in prison. Five years? Five to life? Yeah. See, that's too long. <laughs> like, in yeah. between. Five is a really is small short. number. It's really small. I didn't think you I'm not, t- like, pro-lock people away for the rest of their lives, but five seems very small. For, uh, for a plotted yeah. murder. Crazy. Wow. I know. I mean, and they admitted it. Yeah. That it was plotted. Fascinating. Okay. And Golden admitted they had the gun, like, yeah. at the whole thing. But I think that's the thing. It was just, like, they, they couldn't get their heads around that two ladies would do With this women thing. thing, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, according to the LA Times, uh, Golden was released and, and it doesn't really say how much time that they actually served, but I do not think it was very much. I don't think it was five years. It certainly wasn't over five years. Um, so she, Golden was released and she remained in LA. Uh, and so what we do know of her is in 1971, she was made an officer of the Miracle Mile chapter of the Professional Women's Club. All so, right. You know, there you go. Yeah. Turning your life around. Turn to making it happen. Um, she's like, I got this coffee clutch experience. I'm going to use it. Uh, she dies at age 83 in 1998. Joan is, was released at some point and there is like nothing. Interesting. They don't know what happened to her? Wow. They don't. They don't know anything. Okay. Um, Betty sells the beauty salon after Peter's death, and she remarries in 1966. She passes away in 1999 at the age of 81 in Palm Desert, California. And interestingly, the papers are like this made her 39 at the time of Peter's death, not 36 as most people <laughs> believed her to be. Lying about her age. So the moral of the story is: don't lie about your age, yeah. ladies. Yeah. That's the, they that's will the out you when you're they dead. They will bind you. Yeah. After the murder trial is over and you're dead, they're going to know. They're going to put it in your obituary. That's the real shame. Nice. Um, in April of 1958, the Valley News Sun, who was all over this case, they published an article criticizing um, the how lenient the judges and the yes, prosecutors right. were on the women. Yeah. So it was referred to as the trick-or-treat murder, and it was an ex- used as an example of women being treated uh, too softly in the courtroom. Ugh. Um, wow. And that is the Halloween murder of Peter Fabiano. Good stuff. Yeah. Fascinating. It was, it was a crazy story. Yeah, I got, that's wild. And I got this stuff from Vice and Medium and Vintage Women magazine. Nice. Woman magazine, sorry. Yeah. Good very stuff. nice. Yeah, yeah. It was a Thank very you for that. Yeah. Never never heard story. anything about that. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. And yeah, it is such an interesting thing about like it the, feel, I, well, you the, say it's, the view of the time. It's very lynchy. Like I want oh, yeah. someone to make a noir-y yeah. film on this because there's just it's just like so, you know, yeah. it's very it feels stylized just reading about yeah. it. Yeah. It feels very like Mulholland Drive. Yeah, it totally yeah. does. It totally does. Oh, good stuff. Yep. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. That was a good Halloween story. I hope you guys enjoyed our creepy Halloween stories. Yes. Happy Halloween to all. Yeah. Uh, you got, you. I would say you went through a third of that <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm done now. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. So. Awesome. Well, we'll be back next week for more. Yeah. Although it won't be Halloween time anymore. It won't, but it's still fall, and it's, which is still creepy. It's still I have a re- creepy. It's always creepy. I still have to think about it and make sure it works, but I think I have a really good fall one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good. I don't have yep. a plan for next week yet. I'll come up with something in the meantime. All right. I got plenty of time. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We'll see you.
Hi, this is Fraser with information on next week's Creepy Cocktail. Next week, we keep our Halloween theme going as we're having the Exorcist Cocktail. For that, you need one and a half ounces tequila, three quarter ounces blue curacao, and three quarter ounces fresh lime juice. Shake all that together with ice in a shaker, strain it into a glass, serve with a lime wedge, and you've got the Exorcist. So pour one of those and join us next week. As always, please be sure to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Creepy Hist and Instagram at Creepy Hist Pod. See you then.